Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Hello. Hello, listeners. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm not too bad. How about you? I am also not too bad. How are you, listeners? Good. (laughs) Yay. So our topic today uh, is something that I've... I really have not known much about personally in detail, although I vaguely know it's a thing. Uh, and this kind of just came out of nowhere for me. Uh, the, the concept of pirate radio are basically radio stations that broadcast without a valid license. It's one of those things where I don't think most people really ever think about. But, you know, with the FCC and everything, I like radio broadcast is very strictly monitored. monitored. Mm-hmm. With radio as a technology not being super complicated to do yourself, especially if you have like the equipment or the the money to do so, it's not too hard to broadcast yourself out there. Um, yeah. Luckily we on funk radio are safe. Yeah. Since we, we uh, transmit on the internet frequency. Isn't that, um, I was just thinking about this. Isn't that part of the reason that when we were at Chapman, that their quote unquote radio was actually an online streaming things because they didn't they so that they weren't like beholden to the FCC. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's a good point with our college radio show. That yeah, that was online based. Um, I I remember them saying that they wanted to eventually be on actual radio, which would have been pretty cool. I I very vaguely remember because I remember the the first funk radio meeting we had to like kind of they went over the history of. The history of funk radio. No, they went over the history of Chapman radio. And I want to say I remember them saying that they used to broadcast and and be like legit with the FCC, but then. Oh, like early, in the early days. Yeah. But then like rules changed and it would have ended up costing more money that they didn't want to pay, they being the college. So they ended up going digital once that was a viable option. So. Right. You know, because the university doesn't have the money for that. Yeah. All oh, those fountains don't pay for themselves. Oh God, the fountains. <laughs> the what was I gonna say? I remember them saying that they were they were on a wait list for yeah. basically being given some kind of legit frequency, but like those lists are long and like they last for years. So yeah, I don't yeah. think there was any real it's expectation like, of that happening. It's like immigration; you have to get in line. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to think of a thing. So I guess, yeah, as, as Peter was saying, um, pirate radio in general are basically radio stations that are broadcast without a valid license from the FCC. Uh, there's, there's weird. Oh, actually, can I, can I interrupt really quick? I'm sorry. Yes, please. The, we're going to be talking about this mostly from the perspective of, uh, the United States and its own, uh, regulatory organization as we've mentioned, the FCC. Um, I haven't really done any research outside of this country, um, but I imagine that there's kind of different versions of this across the world Mm -hmm. as well. Anyway, you can continue. I guess getting back to kind of the definition of pirate radio, there's some sort of, there's sometimes some legal jargon around pirate radio where radio stations that are broadcast are considered legal where they're transmitted but sometimes illegal where they're received uh this is often the case for propaganda radio that you know comes over um 
crosses country lines. Like, for example, like a radio broadcast in South Korea and North Korean radios picked it up. I'm probably willing to bet that would probably be illegal to listen to because North Korea. I see. So in South Korea, broadcasting is not illegal for, you know, if they're licensed and everything. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it falls into kind of the domain of the laws of that country, even though the airwaves obviously travel beyond that country's borders and can be picked up elsewhere. So that's one kind of smaller definition of pirate radio. But as Peter said, we're going to be sticking more to radio stations that sort of attempt to fly under the radar of the U.S. laws, um, not North Korean laws. (laughs) So going back a little bit into the history of radio piracy, it really kind of started with the advent of radio itself. Radio started becoming a really big deal in the turn of the century, like 1900s, basically. Not the most recent turn of the century. Yeah, sorry, the turn of last century. That feels weird to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, it feels weird to say that we lived through a turn of the century. It's weird to think that was almost 20 years ago, too. Stop it, Peter. <laughs> uh, yeah, so when radio started becoming really big in the late 1890s through the 1910s, they began to realize hey we need an act we need a you know a regulation of of these um, broadcasts because up until that point it was basically like anyone that had the the tools to do so could basically just broadcast out whatever the hell they wanted so in 1912 they passed the aptly named radio act of 1912 um, which gave the president legal permission to shut down radio stations quote in a time of war and this was obviously tied to the beginning of World War One. Mm. So for the first two and a half years of the war to end all wars, which really it wasn't, because it didn't, um, <laughs> you guys failed. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> President Wilson uh, at the time tasked the U.S. Navy with monitoring U.S. radio stations to, quote, ensure neutrality, mostly because they were afraid of you know, enemy radio broadcasts influencing America. Yeah, so they basically worried about propaganda. Yeah. and More or less. At that time, that was also the first, like, red scare, you know, when they were, Mm. we started becoming afraid of communists. Right. Because I think that was around the same time as the Russian Revolution. So yeah, this, that act was passed in 1912, which gave the Navy authority to sort of monitor radio stations. Uh, about 12 years later, in 1924, there was a radio station in New York City called WHN that was accused by the American Telephone and Telegraph Company, better known as AT&T, hmm. of being a outlaw station for violating trade licenses, which permitted only AT&T stations to sell airtime on their transmitters. Now, if you think that sounds like a monopoly, that's because it was. Hmm. Um <laughs> I guess some things don't change, huh? Yeah, touche. Who yeah. did AT&T just buy? Everything. They did bought... they buy Time Warner? Yes, or was that... yes, yes, yes. yes. They, yeah. they bought Time Warner, and Time Warner before that bought HBO, among other mm. things. So Jesus, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize AT&T was so old. Jeez. Mm-hmm. I think they were literally, the besides like, you know, Alexander Graham Bell or whatever that company is, they're like one of the first mm. nationwide telephone companies. So yeah, in 1924, AT&T uh, tried to sue this supposed pirate radio station uh, because they circumvented AT&T's monopolistic 
uh, licensing laws. And the Secretary of Commerce at the time, Herbert Hoover, um, mm. actually took a public stand and uh, in the defense of the radio station. And although mm. AT&T won its case, enough uh, public attention was drawn to it that uh, basically forever <laughs> forever after that, uh, people basically didn't give a shit about AT&T's licensing uh, laws, so they were never really enforced by the government after that. Oh, that's, so they enforced it that one time? They enforced it prior, but because AT&T uh, sued an arguably popular radio station of the time, created a bunch okay. of public backlash, the government basically said, well, we're, we can't overturn this uh, you know, this licensing law, but we're just not going to enforce it. So hmm. kind of sort of breaking uh, AT&T's monopoly for a bit. So that gotcha. yeah, that was kind of the first big landmark piracy radio case in the U.S. Where you know a major telephone company uh, sued a major quote unquote pirate station uh, hmm. to try to get them taken off the airs airwaves. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna jump in here really quick. Do um, it just because of like the the timeline that we're talking about here because uh, you said that happened in 1924. Mm-hmm. I was curious when the FCC was first like put together, and that was in 1934. So that was about 10 years after that, because mm-hmm. um, I was kind of curious where that falls in the whole timeline of things. Uh, and obviously, I think that's when a lot more uh, like regulation, I'm sure, started to be taken more seriously. For those of you who don't know, they don't only manage radio, but also television, wire, satellite, and cable. And the internet as well, right? Yeah. In they, a, in kind of they they manage the internet in so much as how it deals with the other three, mm-hmm. especially with streaming services now being such a big deal, and really yeah. the fact that basically the internet companies are the cable companies. <laughs> there is no separation. Yeah. Right. Uh, that so is a, they kind of control everything. How? Well, I mean, I guess it's in the name Federal Communications Commission. So yeah. Any, any way that is, you know publicly communicated that they it's likely that they have some hand in that yep diving a little bit into what peter said just because i'm now interested uh the fcc mm-hmm. was formed by the communications act of 1934 they love their dates to replace the radio regulation functions of the federal radio commission so that was basically the fcc uh, like an earlier version of it bef- yeah the federal mm-hmm. radio commission was created in 1926, so a little bit after this oh, okay. incident that we just talked about. I'm curious right. if it was partially in reaction to that. Uh, that's entirely possible, yeah. Uh, it also says here that there was a Radio Act of 1927 hmm. that basically established the department, established that they could you know, regulate what could be broadcast, and established rules saying, like, you know, you can't use obscene language, seven dirty mm, words, okay. that kind of shit. Hey, we just we just broke that rule. <laughs> yay for internet. Luckily, we're not under the jurisdiction of the FCC. I was going to say, yay for the internet, where you can say shit. <laughs> uh. Terrible. <laughs> so, another term that popularized the idea of pirate radio was actually this thing in the 60s in San Francisco called the Summer of Love. And... There were basically these sort of pirate free radio stations that uh, were unlicensed and they were broadcasting um, 
music that at the time the FCC kind of maybe had a problem with. Hmm. Essentially, they refer the this referred to unlicensed land-based transmissions, but they were also often used, especially in the San Francisco area. They were often offshore, so as hmm. to basically circumvent U.S. law by, by by being in maritime law or whatever the hell that stuff is. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm guessing that's where I mean, I, it may be fairly obvious, but that's where the term pirate radio came from because i've noticed throughout history at least in you know the little bit of research that we've done there's a lot of cases where they do that Mm -hmm. where the the offshore whether they're on um some kind of you know offshore uh platform or oil derrick or something or if it's like in a ship um that seems to be a fairly common thing yeah um yeah exactly the reasoning for that is you know if they're out in the out in international waters they're not tied to the broadcast laws of land. Right. Um, in fact, that's what that silly movie with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was pirate radio was based off of, even though it wasn't in the U S it was set in England because mm-hmm. I want to say in the early sixties, they passed a pretty strict sort of broadcast obscenity, obscenity law that basically gave them carte blanche to basically ban any type of rock music <laughs> that they deemed, mm. you know, uh, not for the public good. So yeah. uh, these ships would go out outside of English waters and broadcast rock music like the Beatles and the Stones and all that stuff mm. back to the island uh, to basically get around the British, I don't know what the British version of the FCC is, Her Majesty's Radio Company. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. We could, honestly, we could probably do, like, I, I'll pause really here, really quick here and say that, uh, like, I feel like the subject of pirate radio is fairly large. Mm-hmm. And I think in this episode where we are doing a fairly good job at covering, like, the like overview of everything. But I feel like there are certain things you could get into and do an entire episode, like the, the one you just mentioned. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With that, like, we, we could easily do an entire episode just on that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if listeners, all two of you, if you haven't seen the movie Pirate Radio with Philip Seymour Hoffman, I highly recommend it. It's actually not bad. I have not seen it. It's pretty good. Um, it's worth a viewing. It's not like, oh my god, that's the greatest movie ever, but the subject matter is interesting. <laughs> hmm. So. Nice. And how they basically fought with the British government. On the subject, actually, you know, I wasn't expecting to make this connection, but this might be a good time to bring this up. Because uh, we were just talking about how a lot of uh, pirate radio stations are ocean-based, for lack of better phrasing. I did like there. There have been many times over the decades where pirate radio stations have been raided uh, by the FCC. Mm-hmm. There was one in particular I found. There was an article from 1987 in the New York Times where they reported on one case of this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. I'm gonna read just like pieces of it. Just. I'm not going to read an entire article, um, but uh, this kind of covers the highlights of it. Uh, Quote, protesting what they called the stagnant state of rock and roll radio in New York City, a group of radio enthusiasts took through the airwaves from a rusty old freighter anchored five miles off Long Island's South Shore. The FCC was not amused and sent a boarding party out to head off the pirates. Randy Steele, a leader of the group, expressed defiance of the FCC's action. He said the station planned to continue broadcasting since it was outside what he said was the three-mile territorial limit of the FCC. 
Using direction finding equipment, officials traced the source of the transmission to a point at sea off Long Island and called in the Coast Guard. Sally Lawrence, a spokeswoman for the FCC, said no matter how far out that sea the ship was, it was illegal to broadcast without a license on an unsigned frequency. So that, I didn't look into quite what exactly the rule is there, but it seems like at least at that specific you know case, the, the FCC was saying it doesn't matter you know, how far out you are, it's still illegal. That seems odd. You know, I think U.S. waters definitely go out farther than three miles, but... Um, I'm curious. I, I don't... I'm curious what the actual limitation is there. Uh, U.S. water is considered anything 12 nautical miles, which is 13.8 miles from shore. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh, I would have expected it would be a lot farther than that. Yeah, I know, me too. Hmm. So if you go 12 miles out, you can literally do anything. You can murder, yeah, you, can, you can pillage. You can dance around naked. You can do that in America. What are you talking about? <laughs> Freedom of speech. God bless America. Yep. So yeah, that's uh, that's. so I guess if they had gone out another 10 miles or so, it maybe would have been fine. Uh, so something else I didn't... Uh, copy it here specifically for this but i i did read also in that article that they had registered the ship in like honduras i think Hmm. i think the reasoning behind that was well if it it was an american ship that it would be more uh under american law i guess but obviously i don't think that made a difference either because they still rated them huh i don't know some some of those details i think it would be interesting to look into and figure out like what exactly can and can you not do yeah like what would hold up in court uh, kind of thing right yeah interesting but, uh, I, I didn't go quite that deep into the research but that's interesting stuff to think about indeed some other stuff i found in my i guess you could call my half of the research i did find uh, an interesting map of fcc actions against pirate radio um this is we might actually link, link to this on our uh, facebook page this is this is kind of cool to look at it shows you basically by state how many cases there have been of pirate radio being cracked down on by the FCC. It's kind of interesting geographically to see where the trends are. Um, in a lot of the middle of the country, there's like less than 10, usually about one to five per state, which is very little. California's got quite a lot. Uh, by far, though, the two states that have the most cases are... Um, New York, which has roughly 25% of all of them in the U.S., and Florida, which has about 22% of all cases in the U.S. Jeez. New York probably being just because of its proximity to New York City, and then Florida just because there's a lot of water around Florida. Yeah, it's not that hard to kind of be offshore when the entire state is a coast, basically. Yeah. Something else I found, uh, a fairly recent article from The Outline. Uh, This is just posted back in April. So what was that? Maybe not even six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a pretty good article. Maybe I'll try to remember to link to this as well. Um, that was a good read called the FCC wants pirate radio stations off the air. That in itself, I think the timing of that article also shows that this is still like an ongoing thing. It's not like, oh, it used to be an issue and now it's not really anymore. Like this is still an ongoing mm-hmm. um, issue, you could say, for the FCC. The article is generally about... Um, this uh, journalist named David Gorin, who researches a lot of like ongoingly researches uh, New York City based pirate stations. And there's this interesting quote from him. He said, quote, 
What these stations are doing is serving their communities in ways that they don't get from licensed stations. Um, going in a little bit more depth with that, I'm going to read a little bit of a uh, excerpt here from the article. Uh, it says, on any given night, David Gordon can tune into more than 30 underground radio stations from his apartment in Flatbush, Brooklyn. About a dozen of them broadcast in Creole to the Haitian community, he says. A lot of the stations will air news from home. In addition to news and politics updates, Gorin said there are stations that feature Caribbean music that doesn't get airtime on mainstream station stations, uh, advertisements for local businesses, and occasional call-in sessions with immigration attorneys. Uh, for some immigrant communities across the country, these underground radio stations are an easy way of staying connected to one's roots. In New York City, there may be more unlicensed broadcasters than licensed ones. Huh. Um, I found all that pretty interesting. Uh, and again, I feel like that's almost another thing that could be its own episode is like the role of pirate radio in immigrant communities in the U.S. I was going to say, yeah, that's really uh, interesting because, I mean, obviously New York City and Florida are both heavily immigrant focused communities. I wouldn't be surprised if a mm-hmm. lot of Floridian pirate radios are Cuban uh, based, right. you know, getting news from what's going on in Cuba to the U.S., which probably it's probably not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, New York, there's so many different uh, immigrant communities and neighborhoods. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, Somali pirate radio. <laughs> Bad terminology, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. and because, uh, I mean, basically, yeah, if you turn to major radio stations, you're going to get English-based stuff or, and maybe some Spanish stations, right. but that's really about it. Well, yeah, and even even no matter you know English or Spanish, like it's still gonna be just mainstream licensed stuff. Like you're not gonna get really the honed in mm-hmm. local community sort of stuff mm-hmm. on the radio, exactly. And especially, you're not gonna get radio that's tuned to those spe- like specific smaller uh, pockets of specific immigrant groups. And I find that kind of fascinating. Yeah, I agree. I, um, it's it's funny though that even with the advent of the internet that they're still using traditional radio broadcast technology to output mm-hmm. this information out there um, rather than just, you know, putting it on the internet or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because like, this is a perspective that I not necessarily would have even thought of if we hadn't done the research into this, but you know, even just reading that paragraph, like you can see, like you can just imagine how important that is to those communities, you know, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and that's, so that kind of ties back into what I, that quote I said from him, which was these stations are serving their communities in ways that they're not getting otherwise. Yeah. And the, uh, and in a so. way that's kind of sad. I mean, yeah, you have public broadcast radio, which, you know, has different localized uh, correspondents that try to do that and serve their communities. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. most, most, current radio nowadays is basically just like here's pop music here's country-wide news not local news um so there isn't really a lot of ways through radio to kind of localize people's information it's all national Mm -hmm. so and actually it it would be whether or not you're part of like specific when specifically one of those immigrant communities like just any local community Mm -hmm. I feel like it would be cool to have yeah, more localized radio. Um, and that may be a thing in some areas, but I think in general, that's not really how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, so. how cool would it be for 
to have a local radio station that you could tune into on your way to work that says, hey, here's all the cool shit going on in, you know, Orange County or Portland or whatever. Um, right. And, you know, there are radio stations based in those areas, but they cover such a broad geographical space. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you're getting it specifically for your own neighborhood, you know? Yeah. I can tune into K-Rock, which is based in L.A., and it's going to say, here's mm-hmm. stuff going on in the L.A. area, but it's not... But that covers, like, millions and millions yeah, of people. exactly. It's not like, hey, here's what's going on in Orange County. It's like, hey, if you want to drive to mm-hmm. L.A., go do this. It's like, right. no, I don't. Just for sake of conversation, I'm going to guess one reason that radio isn't more localized on the level that we've been discussing is possibly, and this is conjecture, mind you, it may have to do with, because I think you know fm or am either one there's a fairly limited band of frequencies that work yeah with for radio yeah so which is one reason why it is so limited is because you know there's only so many and so they're only going to license it out to specific stations so and one reason i have on that same note one reason i have seen that pirate radio stations get shut down is because they are interfering with legit stations in terms of their frequency that they're broadcasting on. Ah, that makes sense. Not only for sake of just kind of drowning out a legit station, but also in some cases I've seen that they've, they've argued that the FCC has argued that, um, you know, there could be like an emergency situation, like, like a natural disaster or something. Yeah. Like, that. like an emergency. There could be broadcast. emergency broadcasts that are being drowned out by, Hey, let's play rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, um, to- and I, I, that's that's the FCC's argument, or one of many. Yeah, to a degree, uh, I get so that. So take it with a grain of salt. To a degree, I I I, I get that, but it's like the, I guarantee that a lot of those pirate state radio station broadcasts aren't don't broadcast out very far. So right, it's like how much are they really interfering if there really wasn't a national emergency? Even if you are tuning into a right. pirate station, I'm sure you'll probably figure it out. Right. Well. And depending on their equipment, though, I mean, they can reach a pretty far distance. That's something else I didn't include in that article that I was sharing about the guys on the boat outside of Long Island, mm-hmm. is that it was saying that they were reaching fairly far Oh wow! in a lot of different areas, and they weren't even broadcasting at, like, full signal strength. So I think there is the potential, especially, you know, depending on their equipment, like, they can reach a pretty big audience, but um, I guess the more you do that, the more risk of exposure and then getting caught true um backpedaling a few steps to what i was saying about like the limited band of frequency um i wonder if having localized stations is difficult because you know if you have speaking from where you are kyle like Uh there could be one in lake forest that broadcasts on the same frequency of one in uh you know long beach yeah yeah i get and that could cause some issues so I don't know if that's a reason for that, but it's something that could be a thing. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get what you're saying there. Well, they just need to make more frequencies, damn it. We have AM and FM. How about PM? I don't know. I don't know how radio frequencies really work. Hmm. I just know that's, that, Again, that's probably another topic in itself. Yeah. The technology of radio. I just know radio frequencies are really big sound waves. Mm-hmm. But yeah. On the uh, on the topic of this being an ongoing, like, modern phenomenon that's, you know, not by any means dead, 
the how, do you have any idea how to pronounce this guy's name kyle ajit pai uh i guess he was recently appointed uh, at some point earlier this year he was appointed uh by donald trump to be the fcc chairman part of the article i was mentioning earlier was saying that the fcc is starting to take more of a zero tolerance approach to private stations which may start to decrease more drastically the number of stations that exist mm-hmm. in this way in late March earlier this year, uh, federal authorities raided the headquarters of two Boston-based pirate radio stations and seized their equipment. And uh, in fall of 2017, a Miami-based pirate station uh, was hit with a $144,000 fine, Jeez. which was the maximum allowed under FCC regulations at the time. So clearly, this is not something that's going away. Like This is still an ongoing battle. Um, between these stations and with the FCC. Um, but it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see with this new FCC chairman, like what kind of direction that they're going to go and how much harder they're going to hit this community of, of radio stations. Mm-hmm. Fun fact about Ajit Pai that you may have not known, before uh, mm-hmm. being FCC chairman, he was a lawyer for Verizon that defended them against the FCC. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, it's like the what, what's that term? The the crazies are running the hospital. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of the way I uh, I see it. Uh, anything else you want to say on this topic, Kyle? Before we uh, I have an inter- I have an interesting nugget of thought. If hmm. if these stations are pirate stations, and we somehow find recordings of broadcasts they've done, and we play a recording on funk radio because we're not beholden to the FCC, does that make us mm. pirates? No. Cool. Because it's just regurgitating something that at the time was broadcast illegally, but in our specific circumstance of sharing that audio, that's not an illegal means of sharing that. Huh. At least I would think. That's just how I see it. Another thing I kind of neglected to mention, or we, I guess we neglected to mention, that's just a quick topic that I just thought of. I'm curious if part of why these some of these pirate stations are being gone after is because mm. they may or may not pay royalties to arti- the artists that they're playing, if they're playing music. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be more so in the interest of like record labels and yeah, uh, you know these these companies like AT and T. I'm sure they own a bunch of shit too. Um, but I absolutely, I was thinking about that too as we were doing research. That just because you're broadcasting from a ship a few miles off, you know, the coastline, it doesn't mean you suddenly have license to play whatever music you want. Yeah. In um, fact, that was part of the problem in that goofy pirate radio movie was they were basically just had a crap ton of records mm-hmm. and were just playing the records and, and blasting them out into space, but with little concern of actually being, you know, paying the artists properly for use of their music. The guy was right. just like, well, they're my records, so I'm going to play them. Yeah, and I see some legitimacy in that. I I would not necessarily say I agree with the amount of restriction in that area and just in any areas with royalties and yeah uh, i agree and restriction in that way of licensing but i i to his extent i do see that argument yeah that being said i know we didn't really talk about it before but i mentioned a little while back that the senate just passed a new um sort of 
music copyright bill um, reflecting mm. the new state of music streaming that allows uh, yeah, that forces music streaming services, whether that be XM Radio, Spotify, whatever, mm. to pay artists more of a percentage. Well, that's good because so I mean, so much of music now is streamed in one form or another. So that's good. Yeah. Actually, on that note, it's interesting to think about as. I don't really know whether this is a thing, but you could, you know, some people could argue that, oh, radio is becoming less relevant. Yeah. With the advent of all these other streaming technologies. So I don't think we're to a point of that yet, but I wonder if someday in the future, if that becomes more of a thing, that the amount of attention put on shutting down these pirate stations might kind of go down. Maybe. I don't think it'll ever go away completely, just because, like, for example, just one example being like the propaganda stuff we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like, I don't think any government is going to be like, oh, whatever. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting if, you know, decades from now, if radio becomes less, like at least AM and FM radio mm-hmm. becoming less of a focus, that would be a thing. I don't know. Yeah, very true. I guess only the future will, the will the, something about the future listeners can't talk. <laughs> well, if that's all we have, Kyle, I think so. All right. Well, then uh, we will uh, we'll end by saying, uh, if you have any thoughts about pirate radio or or if you yourself have operated a pirate radio, actually, probably don't tell us that on Facebook because <laughs> yeah. you know, Ajit Pai is always watching, always watching. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Ajit Pai is one of our listeners. Probably not. <laughs> I hope not. I've said bad things. He'll try to come after us. But if how's, how else is he going to regulate? I don't know. Uh, well, you can tell us stuff on Facebook, whatever. Like, send us a picture of a cat. That's fine. Or Ajit Pai. <laughs> Kyle will just respond with more pictures of him. Exactly. The, if you don't want to talk to us on Facebook... Oh, no, we didn't say where we are. We're at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. I'm terrible at promoting us. Uh, we You can also go on getyourfunk.com to listen or download any of our episodes. Yeah, that's it. So uh, I, I do hope that we come back to this topic in one way, one way or another at some point. But yeah, this was, uh, this was a good topic. Yep. So this has been your pirate host, Kyle... And I'm Peter. I'm I am too tired to think of a good description of myself. Peter is a perfect description of you. <laughs> Great. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, tune in next time. Unless we get shut down in the meantime. Bye. We love you.